All right, it's time for another domain query. This one is called the Kosher Kali. Uh, very warm welcome, as always, to all of my very warm welcome, as always, to all of my longtime readers, my subscribers, my listeners. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, please make sure you do so at Podbean or via uh, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes. I think it's on um, Amazon Audible. Uh, or via Alexa, and it's definitely on Spotify, um, maybe on Pandora at some point, eventually, whenever Pandora gets around to approving the damn thing. Um, but be that as it may, um, this week's uh, episode is dedicated to answering a question from reader Johnny, uh, who's been you know frequenting the blog uh, quite a bit, and he had... Um, an interesting question. Um, he put it in the wrong place, so you know, fair warning there. Just like if you're going to ask questions about off-topic things, then just send me an email. I mean, it's easier that way. But um, he had a long question for me, and it was related to an article on uns.com, the uns review, um, where the author is a chap named uh, Tobias Langdon, and uh, Mr. Langdon was talking about a. Um, a woman named uh, Priti Patel. That's uh, that's how you pronounce her name. Patel is a. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, almost certainly a Gujarati name, which means that uh, she comes from a very particular part of India, where they're all vegetarians, by the way. Or uh, not all of them. Most of them are vegetarians. So um, let me get to his question, or I'll ask. I'll, I'll read out his comment. <clears throat> uh, so didact. Uh, see here, and then he's got the link to the article, which will be provided in the description box and um, in the post. Uh, while I have come to conclude that Indian immigration to the U.S. is a net negative, uh, in parentheses, I used to think all skilled immigration that earns above the national average income is a plus, as long as they aren't Muslim terrorists, close parentheses. A lot of white trashnalists have gone further. The above article is pretty extreme and goes too far. The author hates even quote-unquote right-wing Indians like uh, Preeti Patel and Nikki Haley uh, due to their support of Israel. Uh, open parentheses, as if almost 100% of white politicians don't do the same. Close parentheses. The author also conflates a lot of other things falsely by saying that since India is the quote-unquote quote, rape capital of the world, end of quote, Indian immigration means tons of rapes in the U.S., uh, Muslim Pakistanis in Rotherham are one thing, but I don't know of a single non-Muslim Indian in the West raping a woman here. Open parenthesis, and I doubt Indian men are strong enough to overpower a non-Indian woman in the first place. Close parenthesis. He also thinks that even elite tech Indians are three days away from shitting on the streets. That, of course, goes too far. But I wanted your opinion on the article and comments for an accurate assessment of what is and is not valid. I believe that you are probably the most fair-minded person on such topics. White trashnalists are the white dre are the dregs of the white population for sure. No wonder the quote community unquote is 100% male and has a lot of gay men. Uh, so that's the comment in full, and this was attached to a Sunday scripture post that I did. So like I said, not really the place to do it. Um, if you have a an off-topic uh, comment like that. Best to email it to me, or you know, find a post somewhere in the vast array of like three thousand odd posts that I've done, and it's getting up there. 
close to 3,000 now, um, and you'll find something. Anyway, um, so to answer his question, I did read through the article uh, that he mentions, and <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, let me preface this by talking about Ron Unz's site. Uh, the Unz Review is very much an alternative media selection. It is a platform. It is the the content hosted on it is not reflective of Ron Unz himself. He has made it very clear repeatedly that any writer who writes on his site has his own views, and Ron Unz's views do not coincide in any way with that writer. He's just providing a platform. He's doing what Google and Facebook and Apple uh, should have been doing all along. He's providing a platform, nothing more. He's not providing a point of view, uh, other than the articles that he himself publishes. That is why, if you look at, at the UNS review, you will find a very uh, diverse, heterogeneous mix of um, of thought. And this is diversity of the good kind. You know, diversity where you can actually find people who think very differently. I mean, almost polar opposites. You can find. Um, paleoconservatives and paleolibertarians, you know, Pat Buchanan and Ilana Mercer. You can find very left-wing Jews and very right-wing Jews on the same site. Um, you can find anti-Zionists and pro-Zionists. You can find um, hardcore um, uh, <clears throat> pro, like Christians, like E. Michael Jones, and complete secularists. Uh, they're all there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very fascinating cross-section of thought, and this is one of the few places where you will find massive uh, exposés on uh, some of the, the greatest scandals in our history, such as um, the cover-up of John McCain's uh, war record, which was published in full in you know, Sidney Scheinberg's article. Um, it was published in full on uns.com. So this is not a... People should not look at specific writers on uns.com and thereby come to the conclusion that Ron Unz's website is somehow verboten or terrible or whatever. It's, it's, uh, there are definitely a bunch of commenters and writers on that site who, you know, you may not like them, and that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, my view is that the more we are exposed to things that we don't like or don't agree with, the more we get to sharpen our own views. So I will never call for somebody like Ron Unz to be shut down. I want him and what he does uh, to be out there because he's providing a very valuable platform for a lot of these alternative views which aren't covered in the mainstream media. So this article by Tobias Langdon specifically is very much of the fringe. Um, and the funny thing is, if you read it, the language is very incendiary, no doubt, no question. It is astonishingly uh, charged language. The article basically says that uh, Home Secretary Priti Patel of Her Majesty's government in the United Kingdom right now is nothing more than a tool of Israel. She's a Zionist pawn, and um, she's an extraordinarily unpleasant woman to work with, to boot, and that she is... Um, an exemplar of what happens when you have unrestricted dirt world immigration to the West. Now, let's unpack each of those points one by one. Um, if you look at 
uh, a woman in charge. So uh, l let me go down this list one point at a time. Let's start with this issue of women in charge, where you know, Tobias Langdon is, Mr. Langdon is practically spitting venom at, at the uh, the very notion of, you know, having a woman in that post. Then let's look at um, her connections to Israel and the Johnson government's ties to Israel in general. Then let's look at um, what Miss Patel is like as a person, as an individual to work with. Uh, and actually, I may cover that in the first point anyway, so we'll, we might skip over that. And then finally, let's look at the broader point about uh, culture clash between uh, India and or South Asia in general and the Christian West. So, first point is what are women like to work with and for as bosses? My general opinion is that you should never put a woman in a position of power. It's a terrible idea. And um, that is reinforced from about 13 years of, of corporate work experience, or 12 years, uh, in which I have met precisely one woman that I actually enjoyed working with. Uh, or four, I should say. I have met several women that I enjoyed working with. They were competent, they were skilled, they were smart, they were clever, um, they were hardworking, but I have only ever met one woman that I enjoyed working for. And not coincidentally, she and I have very similar personalities. We're both deeply introverted, we're both uh, INTJ types, um, we are both, uh, you know, very analytical, and we remain very good friends to this day. So um, that is the only really positive experience I can say I've had in all of that time of that. That's 15 years of experience uh, in all of that time of working for women. That is not to say there are no good female managers out there, but the laws or the, the, the odds are stacked very much against you. Because the type of woman that gets to a position of power like that, such as Home Secretary in Her Majesty's Government, is generally going to have very, very sharp elbows. And what that means is she got there by uh, acting like a man. And Tobias Langdon makes this point in his article in very charged terms. He basically calls her a high testosterone or high T, um, you know, character. And so the, the exact wording is a... Uh, a bit more sharp than that, I should say. Um, but, you know, he, he basically says that uh, she is a very unpleasant person to be around and very unpleasant to deal with. Um, I, I make no claims whatsoever about the veracity of that statement. None. I am not privy to anybody who has worked with or for Miss Bartel. I don't know if she's married or not. I, I guess not, but I don't know. Uh, you know what? Let's go check it out. Let's, let's go find out if she is married. Preeti Patel. Um, by the way, for those of you who are, who are interested uh, in the subject, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, Patel is a Gujarati surname, which means that uh, she is most likely from Oh, actually, originally she was from a Ugandan Indian family, so she's not actually from India, India. So um, the Patels are well known 
like Gujaratis in general are well known for being part the some of the most uh, shrewd and business oriented characters in all of the Indian diaspora. Um, these are the kinds of people that you will find, uh, you know, going out there and establishing businesses, establishing restaurants, establishing cafes, and uh, various other uh, ventures in the West. They're very good at making them run. They're very frugal. They're very competitive, extremely competitive, and uh, they're very clannish. They look out for themselves. Uh, comparisons with Jews are warranted and probably fair in the sense that both groups are high-performance, low-trust cultures. And that's just the truth. I, I, should, I should have prefaced all of this by saying, if you are easily offended, tune out of this podcast, because some of the things I'm going to say are offensive by nature. I am going to say things about uh, both Indians and whites and Jews and by extension other other groups of people that you may not like to hear. And if that's the if if you if you don't like to hear these things, tune out. You know, don't don't bother listening further. Um, so when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to Miss Patel, um, what is she? Uh, she yeah, she's married. She's married to a white guy actually, uh, Alex Sawyer, judging by the name. And she has one child. So, uh, this is a member of, this is a second or third generation member of the diaspora. And um, is she, well, as, as the article points out, what is she a high tea um, kind of pawn of the Zionists? Uh, well, let's find out. What, did, what exactly did he say? Yeah. Uh, high, she is a, she's a high tea femme poll, that is to say, a, fem, a female politician with typically elevated levels of testosterone. She's aggressive, ambitious, and entirely without principle or loyalty to the country of her birth. Um, yeah, well, I mean, okay, maybe. Uh, she was definitely born in London, so what is she like to work with as a person? I don't know. Um, I can venture to say that given my experience with female bosses, probably very difficult and unpleasant. That being said, uh, I make no representations about what she's like personally. I, I really don't know. But there is an article that I remember reading in the Daily Mail, of all places, uh, several months back, of a uh, basically a lifetime bureaucrat in the home office who resigned after he basically said, I, I can't stand this woman anymore. Now, there are no good guys in the story because the bureaucrat in question is um, a very staunchly pro-Brexit character who was apparently doing everything he could to stop Brexit from happening. And uh, he thoroughly deserved to, to go. And if you've ever watched the classic hysterical um, comedy series, Yes Minister, or its sequel, Yes Prime Minister, you will understand what I mean when I say that the British civil service is by far the most deadly instrument that the, the globalists have in Britain to stymie and destroy the uh, efforts of anyone who believes in all that is good, beautiful, and true to get anything done. You cannot get past the civil service. The civil service exists to protect itself. 
and it exists to protect its members. Uh, the government may change, the, the party in power may change, the policies may change, but the civil service remains. So the fact that this swamp creature was let go, and it's a swamp creature with a knighthood, no less, indicates that, the, that uh, Ms. Patel's um, style of doing things undoubtedly made her very unpopular, or Ms. Patel, I should say. Uh, this is not a uh, this is not a value judgment upon her. I have no idea what she's like. She might be quite lovely person in real life. I don't know. But um, that deals with the woman, and um, moving on to what it's like uh, in terms of ties for the Johnson government to Israel. Now. As far as Israeli or Jewish influence in politics is concerned, this, this is a problem that Jews themselves need to address. Okay. This is a fact. It's a historical fact that Jews are a very insular, high, tr high performance, low trust group. They don't trust anybody outside of their own community. They are very high performance, but they're not necessarily higher IQ than everyone else. They just, they work really hard. They <clears throat> promote from within their own groups and clans. Um, everybody knows everybody else. If you don't believe me, and it's fine if you don't, um, go to New York and go to the Diamond District, uh, which is in Midtown, Manhattan. That's you know, sort of 48th Street thereabouts, 48th and Lexington, between 48th and Lex and uh, 48th and 5th. Um, it's just a whole bunch of diamond stores out there, jewelry stores. They're all Jewish. Every single one is Jewish run, just about. And those Jews all know each other. The entire business of diamonds and precious stones in that part of the world is run by Jews. And they don't have any interest in letting anybody else move in on their turf. They will compete with each other in cutthroat ways. But at a certain level, they will stop competing and just say, okay, you know what, we can't afford to be undercut by other people. So they will band together and, and move as a block against outside threats. That's what a tribe or nation does. That's what they are. The Jews are a nation. And there's no point trying to deny this. One of the most honest, corrupt Jews that I've ever come across, if, you can, if, if that even makes any sense, uh, was a Russian Jew named Boris Berezovsky. Boris Berezovsky was the richest man in Russia at one point. And he was instrumental to uh, the rise to power of a certain uh, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin, uh, also known as the Neo-Tsar. That man, Berezovsky, funded uh, and greased the wheels for Putin, and he thought he owned Putin. Putin wasn't about to be owned by anybody, let alone Jews. And the, here's the funny thing. Putin is probably the most Jew-friendly politician in all of Russia. And try to wrap your head around that. The reason why is because in back when he was growing up in what was then Leningrad, today St. Petersburg, um, his nanny at the time was Jewish. So he is one of those very rare Russian politicians who is uh, favorably disposed to Jews. He likes them. Or at least he doesn't want to see them subjected to persecution and pogroms and, and all the other horrid stuff that the Russians tend to do to Jews. Um, 
but he's one of the he's one of the only safeguards that the Jews have, and they don't like him. You know, Jewish billionaires in in Russia or Russian Jewish billionaires of Russian origin hate the man because he chased them out. He basically said, "Get out, or um, I will confiscate all of your wealth." Uh, Berezovsky uttered one of the most honest statements that I've ever heard a Jewish rich man utter, a corrupt Jewish rich man. He said that a Jew is a citizen of Israel first and foremost. It doesn't matter what other passport he holds, he is a citizen of Israel. So, a Jew will always act in the interests of Israel. That's his assertion. Now, is that true in all cases? Obviously not. That's a gross overgeneralization. But, inflammatory, incendiary language in the article aside from Mr. Langdon, it is hard to argue that Jews in politics have had a very nasty suppressive effect upon speech and commerce wherever they've gone. Whether it's in the United States, you cannot criticize the Jewish lobby, or in the UK, where several Labour MPs actually lost their seats and lost their positions because they dared to criticize Israel. They dared to criticize um, Jewish influence in, in politics, and uh, some of them, I mean, some of them were just not pleasant people. Okay, fine, you know. But isn't that really for the, the voters to decide, not the media and not the Jewish lobby? Isn't it for the voters to decide who they want in power? And I think Jews in, in the UK are beginning to realize, throughout most of Europe actually, are beginning to realize they're losing their influence, and they're losing it fast. Which is why they're fleeing to Israel in a very big hurry. Um, Jews in France are, are fleeing France in droves. And Jews in Israel, I th uh, excuse me, Jews in the UK, I think, are beginning to understand that the, the gig is up. Um, as the UK becomes ever more brown and diverse, their grip on power and the levers of politics is loosening. And they're scared. So they're using whatever influence they can with people like Boris Johnson and Preeti Patel to get policies favorable to them while they can. And that doesn't surprise me. That's what a high-performance, low-trust culture will do. It's just what they do. Uh, don't do not for one moment think that Indians don't do the same thing. They do. <laughs> the Indian specific subgroups of Indians act exactly the same way in India. Um, it's actually kind of disgraceful if you if you watch it happen, but it's normal. It's like it's accepted practice. Um, you should hear some some of the Indians talk like Indians that I know when they talk about uh, Sindhis and Marwaris from from Rajasthan or uh, Parsis who are uh, basically of Persian extraction originally. They're Zoroastrians, essentially. They, they, they came over centuries ago. Uh, or uh, even Gujaratis. It, you should hear some of the rhetoric that Indians say among themselves about these people. They, I mean, it's, it's just absolutely vicious. And the reason it's vicious is because of the way these groups behave in India and outside India. And that brings us uh, to the third point. Well, before I get to that, let me just close off on the issue of Israeli influence in, or Jewish influence in British politics. I do agree that Mr. Langdon's words go way too far. Um, I think he is being overly polemical. And I think 
that turns off people like me who you know, just, you know, we prefer a bit less venom with our analysis. Okay? That doesn't mean he's necessarily wrong exactly, I just think he goes too far. I think um, if you dig underneath all of the venom and vitriol, he has a good point that yes, Jews should keep their noses out of politics in other countries. Israel is an amazing country. I love Israel. I was there in 2014. I would love to go back. It's a phenomenal place. I can't say enough good things about Israel. I, I really can't. If you can go to Israel, go. You'll love it there. It's an astonishing place. I had the time of my life while I was there, and I love the people. I love the cities. I love the locations. I thought it was just an unbelievable place. Um, an Israeli Jew who lives in you know, the southern part of Israel uh, is a very valued friend and contributor to my site. So this is not personal in any way. This is not an attack on Israel or Jews in general. Um, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jews are a protected people. But that doesn't mean I want them sticking their noses into um, the politics of any country that I happen to be in. I don't want to stick my nose in their politics. Why should they stick their noses into my business? Right? Um, I just have a very live and let live attitude to them. If they want to run their own part of the world, let them run it in Israel and stop making the rest of us feel constantly and consistently guilty through Holocaustianity, which is wearing very thin by now. Uh, people don't really remember the Holocaust, and using that as an excuse to browbeat people into uh, doing whatever your community wants is not a good idea. It's, it's, it's actually pissing people off now. So please, stop it. If you're going to continue doing it, do it in Israel, which is your home. It's your natural homeland. Please go there because it's an incredible place. You, you know, you guys made it an astonishing, wonderful, like, uh, flowering, beautiful oasis in the middle of a desert. Keep doing that because that's incredibly valuable. So keep doing that. Let the British and the Americans and the French and the Russians and everyone else run their countries. Please stop interfering. Um, so moving on to the third point, which was about uh, Indian immigration to the first world. Okay, here, uh, again, Johnny is right. This guy goes way too far. Um, basically... Um, there's a, there's a uh, sort of a, a paragraph or a couple of sections in this article where um, essentially, uh, after calling Priti Patel uh, kind of a, a Kali type person who is beholden to Israel but just hates white people, I don't know if that's true. I mean, she's married to a white guy. It's, you know, if she hates white people, she's got a funny way of showing it. Um, I don't. I don't think that's correct or accurate. Um, I have no idea if she's difficult to work with. The evidence suggests she probably is, but I, you know, I, I shy away from making any kind of definitive statement. I don't know. Um, in terms of uh, bringing in immigrants from India, here is where Langdon both gets it right and gets it very wrong. And it's the funny thing about it, because he, he does point out India is an amazing country. And it's true, it is. It is an astonishing country. Um, it's not to my liking, but that's not to say it's not a, a, an amazing country in its own right. That's absolutely true. India has a 5,000 or 10,000 year old uh, history, actually, in some places. 
Um, it's got warm and wonderful people. It's got some incredible traditions, some astonishing places to visit. But you know, if you look at um, if you look at what Langdon, Mr. Langdon, raises in his article, he, he points out that Rudyard Kipling was a great observer of the human condition, which he was. And uh, Kipling wrote about how the fundamental incompatibility between Hindu morals and uh, Western Christian morals. And again, he was absolutely right. If you read um, many of Kipling's uh, tales in the Jungle Book or in um, his poetry or in various other short stories that he wrote, Kipling looked at India through the eyes of a white man who loved the country but understood that it was fundamentally alien to British eyes. And he was right to think that way. Uh, Kipling wanted India to remain in India. He didn't want it to come over to the UK. And he was, again, right to think that way. If you look at the differences between the Christianized West and the Hindu, or Hindu India, not the Hindu India, Hindu India, what is the West? The West is clean, quiet, ordered, civilized, respectful of personal property, um, well run, relatively speaking, relatively efficiently, uh, not prone to persecution or intolerance, uh, very, very tolerant of women's rights, uh, used to be very good at protecting unborn children, used to be very high performance, used to be very... Um, very much a world leader. This was back when Europeans were about 40% of the world's population. Today, they're about 7% of the world's population. Go do the maths. I mean, there's a reason why everything seems to be getting worse and worse by the day. There's a reason why the world seems to be getting dumber and dumber by the day. It's because the really high IQ, high performance types uh, of people are diminishing in number. You know, you can hate me for saying that, but it's the truth. Um, now contrast all of that with India. What is India? India is dirty, noisy, polluted, crowded, rife with sectarian tension, uh, extremely intolerant of other people's views and religions. And if Hindus are going to react violently when I say that. They're going to say there's no way you can possibly make that claim. Yes, I can, actually. You have 200 million Muslims living among you. What happens every time a Muslim misbehaves? He gets lynched. That's what happens. Um, what happens when the government wants to stoke up some uh, or gin up some tensions to get uh, a vote passed? It will stir up sectarian tensions by making it tacitly known that um, we don't like, or we're not, we're going to look the other way if you decide to pursue these Muslim butchers who are slaughtering cows. Because in India, uh, Muslims tend to be the butchers because their, the quality of their meat is very good. Uh, they refuse to butcher pork, obviously, but they will happily butcher lamb and chicken and goat. Um, and because Muslims have no problem with eating beef, they will kill and slaughter cows. Uh, they will serve halal meat. And that gets them in trouble a lot with, uh, Hindus who, you know, for them, the cow is a sacred animal. Um, so, they they will happily slaughter Muslims if 
uh, if the government kind of decides to look the other way, they have no problem doing that. India is one of the absolute worst places in the world to be a Christian. That's a fact. Uh, so Mr. Langdon gets this right. He, he gets completely wrong the uh, point about India being one of the world's most, the world's most unsafe place for women. That's, that's flatly wrong, and that's an outrageous lie. Um, the Guardian article that he's quoting in his, uh, in his screed is wrong. It's factually wrong. Um, the Guardian article that he mentions is basically talking about how, um, you know, India is just a, a horrible, horrible place for women, and um, that, you know, it's, it's one of the, the least safe places in the world uh, where, you know, a woman is raped every 20 minutes in India. Well, okay, the, the actual data behind that article is very, very suspect. Uh, once you do an actual analysis, you'll quickly realize that India is considerably safer than most sub-Saharan African countries for women. Uh, it's certainly safer than many Muslim countries for women. Now, does that mean India ha doesn't have a problem? I didn't say that. What I said was the problem is greatly exaggerated. And that's a fact. That's factual evidence analysis. That's the truth. India is not the, is not a place where women get raped just walking down the street. That doesn't happen. There are parts of India which are very safe for women. There are parts of India which are very unsafe for women. You cannot take the whole of India, which is a huge country of over 1.4 billion people, and reduce it down to something as simplistic as that. That's ridiculous. So, in that respect, I completely disagree with Mr. Langdon's article, and he's he goes way too far. That's just factually wrong. Okay? Um, now, as for the point of it's a bad idea to import Indian culture to the West, yeah, he's right. I agree with that. I don't agree with the language he used, but I agree with the point. The thing to understand is that the Indian understanding of social hierarchy is completely different from the Western understanding. The Western understanding is rooted in the Christian ethic, which says there is neither slave nor free, man nor woman, Jew nor Gentile, for all are one in the body of Jesus Christ. Right? Meaning that there are no artificial barriers or divisions or castes between us. We are all human beings under the protection and love of a divine master, a, a loving God who wants us to come back to him. This is completely antithetical to the Hindu point of view, which says that um, society is divided into castes and that if you did something bad in a previous life, you are born, you know, if, you, if your sins accumulate in a previous life, you are judged according to your sins for your next cycle of death and rebirth, and you are born into a lower caste from where you were. So if you are a bad person, you know, you will be reborn lower down. And if you are born into a lower caste, you, whatever you get in life, you deserve for being a bad person, and you just have to put up with it and be virtuous, and then you'll get elevated in life, which means by logical extension, if a higher caste person mistreats you, then you deserve it, because he's higher caste, therefore he's virtuous, and you're lower caste, therefore you're not virtuous. Um, Hinduism is a religion of works. Again, Hindus are going to be outraged when I say that. Look, it's the truth. If you, the, the two central concepts to your religion are karma and dharma. 
karma says what essentially, you know, once you boil it down, you what you give is what you get returned. And dharma says uh, you have a duty. You must do your duty. Uh, through uh, duty and nobility, you uh, do good deeds. So in other words, it's a religion of works. You do good things to demonstrate your virtue. Um, Christianity is the exact opposite. It says we are all sinners, we are all fallen short in the glory of God, uh, and we must strive to purge ourselves of our sins by accepting the sacred blood of Jesus Christ and by praying for forgiveness and by trying to establish a personal relationship with our Creator. Fundamentally different worldview. The way in which this worldview uh, conflicts with the Western world, or the I should say, the way the Western worldview conflicts with the Eastern is well demonstrated in the case of Hindu workers who come over to the U.S. or the U.K. In the U.S., um, they tend to end up working in tech companies on the H-1B um, racket. I know a lot more than most about this because I was part of it for many years. Um, in that system. Indians will hire other Indians based on kickbacks and bribes, essentially. Uh, a part of your salary, if you're a lowly tech worker, will go to your Indian managers who will you know, kick it upstairs to their managers and so on and so forth. That's a fact that's been documented repeatedly in India. Uh, Infosys, uh, among other companies, is notorious for doing this sort of thing. Um, this is a huge problem, and it's going to be a huge problem in future. And I'm not saying Westerners don't do this, but it's much less common. It's not part of their system of ethics. And if you do it and you get caught, you go to prison. Um, in India, uh, particularly in Indian-run companies in the West and in Indian companies in India itself, this is just seen as the way you do business. So, in that respect, uh, bringing over lots of Indians is not a good idea for the, the host culture, and you'll see it. I mean, the, the lie of multiculturalism is in the fact that you don't get this one blended mass of people. You don't get one happy family of people just living side by side with each other. That's not the case. If you go to London, and I've said this to British people recently, and they were like, I disagree with you, I think London's a great city. I'm like, okay, fine. But London is not a British city anymore, and hasn't been for years. The soul of the city is gone. If you go to London, you'll find ethnic enclaves all over the city where you'll have loads and loads of Indians in one part of the city. Uh, so, for instance, if you go to Hounslow in the southwest, you know, by the airport, basically. That's, that's just a, it's a facsimile of India. I remember when I was living in London uh, from, for five months in late 2014 to end of sort of spring of 2015, um, in the evenings, in the winter evenings, because it's not that cold in London, uh, I would go for a walk along the Thames, and uh, one night I went for a walk east along the Thames to Tower Hamlets, because I was living in um, Tower Hill at the time. And, you know, it was a great gig, don't get me wrong, I, I had a great time while I was there. Um, so I walked east, and I walked for a couple miles, and then I turned left, and uh, I ended up in a little place called Shadwell. Uh, Tower Hamlets by the way, produced the current mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Tower Hamlets is very, 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 very Asian. When I walked into Shadwell, I was like, I must have stepped through a door into Bangladesh because I was looking around. I was like, what the heck? This is not, this is not Britain. This is Dhaka. This is Bangladesh. If I looked around, I was seeing you know, signs from madrasas. I was seeing men walking in ethnic dress. Uh, with full beards, I was seeing women in full, you know, uh, hijabs and niqabs at night, by the way. Uh, this was pitch black at night. Um, winter evening. 
I was like, what? This is strange. Uh, I remember also walking, you know, another Sunday, I was walking later on in the year, I was walking along uh, towards, in the opposite direction, towards Victoria Station. And I ran into a, a massive protest near uh, the House of Parliament at Westminster. Thousands of Muslims screaming, we love our prophet, and then basically getting very angry and animated about um, something to do with the latest round of cartoons published at the time with respect to Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, it was the Charlie Hebdo massacres that took place at the time. And uh, they were furious. They were absolutely enraged by the, the, the situation. They thought that uh, the Prophet of Islam had been insulted and made their feelings very clear. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, they were intimidating the crap out of the, the white people around them. Uh, as far as they were concerned, it's not, it's not European country. It's not, it's not a, a white British country. It's their country. They're wrong. But that's how they feel. They're, they're wrong about that, but nothing that the Brits are doing stops them from feeling like it. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, if Caucasians in Russia had tried the same stunt, they would have been deported instantly. Um, I know what the Russians are like. They don't tolerate that sort of tomfoolery because they love their culture and they want to preserve it as a Russian culture. Um, if you want to preserve a Western culture, absolutely cut off immigration from the third world. And I, you know, I'm saying that as somebody who would be very badly affected by that. I'm saying that as somebody who wants to get out of the third world, uh, who is very Western by nature and, and outlook and attitude. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's not the, the two are not compatible. So stop bringing them in. And the, the reason they're not compatible is because most third world immigrants aren't like me. They're not willing to just leave behind everything that they picked up from their former lives and start over again. They're not willing to drop the old prejudices and hatreds and uh, attitudes that they had back there. They're not willing to drop all their old customs and completely transform themselves. Magic dirt doesn't exist. Even I'm, you know, a product of my upbringing and my ethnicity. So even I, as westernized as I am, cannot completely escape it. And I'm saying that as somebody who considers the American Constitution to be like the le just just below holy writ, and as far as I'm concerned, the Western way of life is the best. So when I'm saying that, you can know that it's coming from a place of sincerity. So anyway, um, I've gone quite a long way over time, uh, but I hope that answers the question in full. Uh, you know, this was a, a long domain query. Uh, it was a lot to unpack, but you know, looking at the three um, pieces of it. Tobias Langdon's article is very incendiary, but he does hit on some home truths. I think people should examine these truths for themselves and see and understand where he's right and where he's wrong and try to unpack them and see um, where he gets it, he, where he goes too far. And I've laid it out for you here. I think when it comes to importing immigrants from the third world, it's generally a very, very bad idea. So. That's my two cents uh, over 45 minutes. So anyway, this has been Domain Query, the Kosher Kali. I am Didact, signing off.